Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, May 26, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 67, the second paragraph beginning with referring to our list. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the 12 Steps will be Sarah W. Reading the 12 Traditions will be Susie K. And reading the text will be Esther C., Helena, and Sharon H. The share ID for Sunday, May 25th, is 6390. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning, Vision for You. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. This is Sarah W. from Iowa. A grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Uh, these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people, wherever possible, except when to do so within them others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you.
Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah W. I'd like to remind everyone to mute their phone if they happen to be unmuted by pressing star 1. And I will now ask Susie K to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, Susie Kay, the recovered compulsive reader from Maine, the 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Susie Kay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 67, the second paragraph beginning with referring to our list. I will now ask Esther C. to get us started. Good morning. My name is Esther C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrong others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? 
Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So this paragraph, which is referring to column four, the column where we look at our part, was for me the point where my eyes really opened up. You know, as I was writing, my jaw dropped, and I realized that I'm the problem. My life is not the problem. People, places, circumstances, these are not my problem. I'm the problem. So I'd like to look at the sentence, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And I, I feel that this line is so full of teachings. It's so instructive. You know, you could spend an hour sharing just in this one line. Um, you know, where had I been selfish? This is the point where I asked myself, what did I want in this situation that I wasn't getting? Where had I been self-seeking? So what did I do when I didn't get what I want? Or what did I do in order to get what I want, you know? And where was I fearful? We're going to talk a little bit more about fear in the next paragraph. But it's this last part. Where was I dishonest? Where where I learned the most? Because asking myself this question, where was I dishonest, revealed to me what what type of things I was leaning on, what I was hanging on to that was providing me with a sense of security. This dishonesty part showed me exactly where my thinking was off. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. I don't know, maybe you've experienced it as well. What are some of the lies I would tell myself? Well, I remember one of the big ones is that pain is bad. I used to feel that I couldn't feel secure in a world that includes pain. And that's a real juicy one because I told myself that, because I told myself that lie, I did all sorts of crazy destructive things that hurt myself, hurt others in order to avoid pain. But now that I've tapped into what the big book calls an unsuspected inner resource, um, I've I've learned that my security, serenity, and sense of well-being is going to come from this relationship with my higher power. So, Esther, dear, pain is not bad. It's the cornerstone of growth, and it's going to be part of your life to whatever degree is, is you know, meant for you. And you can live joyfully because my peace of mind no longer comes from things around me, but it comes from this new unlimited resource. And that's, for example, one of the lies I tell myself when I was able to examine that lie, you know, things change for me. Some other lies that I told myself briefly, I used to tell myself that life should be easy, that life should be fair, that I'm here on this earth to get the most out of life, that people should only die old, good people shouldn't suffer, children for sure shouldn't suffer. I would tell myself that in order to be happy, I need to be acknowledged, uh, that people shouldn't have more than me, right? I needed a lot of things, a lot of whatever, in order to be happy. And as I walked around all day, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, feeding myself these lies and others, and, and when life didn't go my way, of course uh, I needed to eat. When my instincts for relationships and, and security and, and future ambitions weren't satisfied in the way I wanted to, to my specifications, so I got resentful. And, of course, when I'm resentful and I'm irritable, restless, discontent, I need to eat to get myself to calm down. But now I know the truth. I know that my higher power is an unlimited resource, always available, the only thing that I could count on, and the only thing that's going to provide me with the peace of mind that I'm seeking. So I've written the, those lies. I reduced them to, to, to smithereens when I gave it over my fifth step to my sponsor. And now I'm not mad anymore when life, you know, even when I have good motives, but when life doesn't go my way, 
I'm at peace with the world, with people around me, and I don't need to eat to get myself to calm down. So, like I said, there's lots to say, but at this point, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Katie G. from Boston. Go ahead, Katie G. Good morning, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everyone. Katie G. recovered for today. Grateful to be absent and sober. By the grace of God, I love this paragraph. Um, Putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely, which means with a firm determination or purpose, looked for our own mistake. And what is a mistake? It's a judgment. It's a judgment that is misguided or wrong. And and what is a resentment? It's mistaking. I misunderstand these resentments, fancied or real. Like I, I imagined and created a lot of my problems. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, I, I love the model that was just provided for us of doing these these turnarounds, this idea that we've been on one side of the um, of the courtroom and now we're going to the other side of the courtroom. And, and one of the things that I love that was a question that someone asked me is like, irregardless of my parents' behavior that I'm sitting here acting like a victim around, what kind of daughter was I? And that was a huge part of my future conversation with my, with my father is that, you know, I, I was not the kind of daughter I could have been. And I used my selfishness was, you know, I needed him to be perfect. I needed him to be home all the time. I needed him to put my needs first without regard to his wants, needs, or capabilities. What's the lie I'm telling myself? That I'm not okay. I am unsafe. Unless someone, unless they're behaving in a certain way. And what's the truth? God is my security. That my, you know, uh, other people can do what I, whatever they want, and I can still be okay. And what's my self-seeking? I act like a victim. I, I, I passive-aggressively convince him he needs to buy me toys when I'm, you know, whatever, all, like throughout my life. And what's my fear? that I'm, you know, going to lose something, and I'm not going to get what I want, that I'm going to be rejected. And the best part about these turnarounds is that I can then go to God and say, God, please remove the lie that I'm not okay because somebody else is behaving this way and help me be the truth and live in the truth. And what was so amazing for me about these turnarounds is they gave me the words to pray to God so that he can then, like, soothe that inner anger that's propelling that self-seeking behavior that's propelling the judging the character is fascinating and let me tell you like even when I wasn't you know telling someone taking them apart in my head I wasn't verbalizing that I was still doing destruction because if I'm going into a situation and I am character assassinating someone let me tell you my behavior is, is changed by that And what I love, I just want to echo one last thing, is that if I don't get down to these causes and conditions and look at my role and my mistake, irregardless of whoever else is involved, eating is going to feel like a step up from how I feel for myself. So what that means is complete obliteration, complete annihilation of all things good, putting that food in my mouth, reactivating the phenomenon of craving, and going to death's door is going to feel like a step up from the self-hatred that I have in my own 
brain. And this is an amazingly powerful tool. If you haven't gotten to this work yet, that's okay. Keep showing up. There's a tool that works. I do these turnarounds all the time. And what they do is they don't bring me relief, but they bring me freedom. They bring me closer to the feelings, and I then have something to go to God with and really pray. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Katie G. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice Larry? I heard Janice and Larry, and I believe someone else. Okay, I guess it's Janice and then Larry. Go ahead, Janice. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and good morning to everyone this morning. My name is Janice M. from Massachusetts. Yes, this list is going to give us a lot of information, I'm sure. And the next line, putting out of our minds the wrong others had done, we, I, looked for my own mistake. That was very difficult in the, oh, maybe three decades ago, I was focusing solely on what other people did to me. I mean, that's how it was. Because in my mind, I thought, well, you know, um, if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't do this. And if I if they weren't like that, then I wouldn't be like this. So he was always blaming other people. And it took time because, um, you know, I used the resentments. I used them for an excuse to behave the way I behaved. I used the resentments to justify my actions. You know, I was a young woman, got out of college, and I didn't want to, you know, um, go into, I I was scared and whatever, um, to go into public school. So I went into another business that I could get my own way. And then I blame those people for what happened to me. I mean, it's crazy. I rationalized, you know, it's their fault. If they didn't, you know, do this, and I wouldn't do that. So, you see, it's all about me. It's all about um, where was I dishonest. Well, geez, I didn't feel I was dishonest, you know. But as you do this, it, and you're working with a, a recovered compulsive overeater, I don't know, and God, it just, you know, I used to always say the third step prayer prior to doing this. If I put my pencil down, before I started, I said the third step prayer. Before And then when I put it down and stopped and started again, because then I want God to come in, another power. It just happens. I mean, I don't know. I can't explain it, but it does. And it just, it, it just automatically flows. You start to see yourself. And, and and sometimes it takes a long time, but um, it was this inventory is not others. This inventory is mine. So I have to look at me, not what others did, and that takes practice, you know, not to look at somebody else because that's the easy way out. And as far as being dishonest, I never thought I was really dishonest. I never stole anything. But dishonesty, you know, is, is, is not telling the truth. Like I may tell something just to be approval, you know, just for somebody to like me, um, not telling the truth to myself, which is a dishonest action, you know, um, or not telling the truth because you might reject me, you know, all those things, wanting approval. Um, so with that, um yeah, and and I have to remember that resentment and freedom do not exist. They can't possibly. If I'm resenting, I can't I can't be free and I can't love at the same time. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Larry. 
Good morning. <clears throat> Larry recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. So it says, you know, we had resolutely looked for our own mistakes where we've been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. You know, um, this in my experience is, is nearly an impossible task to do that unless one has sufficiently done the work necessary in steps one through three. You know, that was my experience. So in other words, it's only through the destruction of, you know, the obliteration of self-centeredness that we can hope to embody the integrity that, you know, necessary to, 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 to resolutely examine anything, to examine our own mistakes. And for me, you know, this, this veil of, of self-deception, you know, my, my own internal lies were, were, were really um, certain to kind of color my perception of my own mistakes. Um, you know, it was, it was always um, something that weighed, <clears throat> weighed in my understanding of self. And, and God would allow me to see myself more clearly, you know, to truly see my, 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 my nature um, only if I had completely turned my will and my life over to the care of God, um, that, that level of surrender that we find in step three. So we're trying to get right with God in steps one through three in, in our powerlessness. And my experience was there's no playing games here. You know, there, there's no possibility of manipulating my higher power to get what I wanted. I could manipulate you pretty easy, pretty easily, you know, but... So as long as I was still in self-deception about my own mistakes, step four wasn't going to work, you know. It, it, remember, the practical program of action, every step embedded in this process is about developing a new relationship with God. And so we admitted our wrongs honestly, and we were willing to set these matters straight. And, you know, there was a reason why for me this program seemed not to take. It, it didn't work for a guy like me after several attempts over the first five years that I was in program. And why was that? See, I, I was still looking for shortcuts, for an easier, softer way out. There's a way out. It's not necessarily an easier way out, but there is a way out. You know, quick fixes towards a thin body, that you know, my higher power couldn't be manipulated. Unfortunately, you know, at least that was my feeling at the time. That was, and my experience taught me that. It wasn't what I read or what you told me. My experience showed me that. You know, the easier, softer way. Guess what? It doesn't exist. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll tell you that. You may be thick-headed like me, but I'm going to tell you, it doesn't exist. Again, my higher power couldn't be bamboozled into giving in. You know, surrender meant alignment with his will, destruction of self. God wasn't going to get in alignment with Larry's will. And um, and again, there was no honesty in me until I had fully surrendered and, and said, you know, God, help me to be in alignment. Help me to align myself with your will today. You know, if you, if you try to take step four before you're, you're ready to do that, and each of us are in a different place there. It ain't going to work. That's my experience. Maybe you can prove otherwise, but that's my experience. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Monica. Jean? I heard Monica and another person. Jean. Rabia. Jean and Rabia. Go ahead, Monica. 
Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here is a turnaround paragraph instruction, explicit instructions here for me. And I was saying, you know, I have to put out of my mind the wrongs others had done, and I have to look at where I was wrong. What did I do? And specifically, where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And... um, so where was I selfish? What does that mean? That means my selfish attitudes in this situation. What did I want? Or what didn't I want here? You know, how was I disregarding others? How was I putting myself ahead of others? You know, for a lot of mine is, you know, I want you to be different. I want you to be like me and have my values. That's how I was selfish. Dishonest. What is dishonest? It's my faulty thinking in this situation. It's what I thought, or it's what I told myself, or what I pretended, or what I believed. So that's what I had to ask myself. What did I think here? What was I telling myself? What was I pretending? What was I believing? Was I telling myself that I'm more important? Did I believe that I'm the, you know, I, I know the only way, the right way? Did I believe you were a bad person? These are all ways of being dishonest. Did I pretend it didn't bother me? Was I being a people pleaser? And then self-seeking. What, what is that? What does self-seeking mean? It's my actions. What did I do? Did I criticize you? Judge you? You know, a lot of this was all in my head. I was great at this. I criticized and judged in my head. Nobody knew what I was thinking, but it was all within me. Or there was times, you know, maybe I called you a name. Maybe I lied about you. Maybe I gossiped about you. Maybe I was jealous of you. Maybe I stole something or cheated. These are all self-seeking actions. What did I do? And then the book asks us to ask ourselves, what was I frightened of? What was I frightened of? And for a majority, you know, a lot of mine was I was afraid of looking stupid or bad or dumb. I was afraid you didn't love me, that I wasn't lovable. Maybe it's that you're afraid of not being safe. Maybe you're afraid of being hurt. These are the questions we have to ask ourselves here. This is what the big book is asking us to do with every single person on our list. And who did I harm? And it tells us here we, that we, this is our inventory. And we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. So I have to write this all out. And this is where my spiritual awakening began. When I started seeing what I had never seen about myself. That yes, I was dishonest selfish, and did a lot of self-seeking actions. Wow. Me? Nice, sweet little Monica? (laughs) Anyway, this is where the, this is the secret ingredient here. This is what we have to see and do. And it is a process. And with that, I'll pass. But if you want freedom, woohoo, this is where it starts. I pass. Thank you, Monica. Jean? Yes, um, good morning all. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Jean, Recovered Compulsive Eater in Massachusetts. Um, 
This part of the inventory process brought me so much relief, clarity, healing, and hope. I get to see the root of the matter, and uh, to me that's freedom. The responsibility is mine. It's not the other person. And um, in my uh, selfishness, um, experience of selfishness, it's... um, for me, it's more of a non-acceptance, non-acceptance of uh, who I am, who you are, uh, what you have done, what I have done, what the world should look like, and how everything should go, how events should unfold. So uh, the big book in the later chapter said, um, acceptance is the answer to all my problems, and non-acceptance was the cause of all my problems. I want everything to be different because they're not according to my liking. My judgment is was superior, and um, and I also get to see through this four-step process and later on in my daily ten-step work, I saw more and more clearly for me that um, everything was uh, not stemmed from things outside of me, people, place, and things, but a projection from my own fear, unworthiness, my own uh, dishonesty, my limitations. And I failed to acknowledge that I was um, in communion with God, but um, I was blocked off from Him. So I sought my worth, value, security from um, my job, how I look, and what other people think of me. And... uh, everything else. And now, in this um, paragraph and through the writings, I get to reclaim that power. I used to make people, other people my God or put myself as um, the arbitrary judge of the universe. And um, the truth was revealed to me that um, um, it's impossible to demand other people who had gave me the love, the respect, the worth, and security. And I myself, through the um, enlightenment of this process, have been given the ability to um, allow the channel to be open so that I reclaim the power and connection with God. And uh, from there, I relinquish the need to demand other people to um, to be different and uh, to give me the importance, the respect, and uh, in regardless of their needs, wants, capabilities, situations, and the history. Um, and I um, uh, act from a place of a God-centeredness and bounty instead of uh, continually, forever, perpetually being needy. Um, I, I'm going to say I'll end there, and thank you. Thank you, Jean. Rabia. Rabia, you're next. Can you hear me now? Yes, Rabia. Oh, thank you. Hi, this is Rabia. Um a newly recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And um, 
I'd like to speak to the visionaries who are writing the fourth step now and in the first three steps getting ready to write the fourth step that the most important thing for me was was doing it to the best of my ability, asking my higher power to um, to help me be thorough and searching and fearless and having been guided thus far through the big book with my big book guide. Um, even in even as I got to this fourth column, as I was writing it, I got to see later with my guide that I was selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened even as I was writing it, and which is perfect because I got to see myself much clearer as I progressed through the rest of the steps. And I gave myself five days to write this, and I'm just here to say it's possible to do that. And I didn't want to spend a lot of time in it because I was really looking forward to getting to the 10th step and stop, cease fighting everyone and everything and having a neutrality with my food. That's the message I was getting in the vision meetings. I so wanted this neutrality with food, this this nightmare I've been fighting my whole life. And so um, I I quickly got through the fourth step as thoroughly as I could. And, and my guide... Uh, in the fifth step, um, we continue to grow through this, and I just want to say I'm in the tenth step now, and it's so worth the work that we do to get there and to move through um, as quickly as possible. These are simple steps, and they don't have to take very long, and um, and and the the joy at the end of them is so worth worth the work. I, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia. This is Rebecca, and I'd like to share a minute on this paragraph. It might sound daunting to those of us who haven't gotten through it, and I just want to encourage everyone that um, we do this with others. We don't do this alone. We have people in the fellowship that we can bounce ideas off of and help us over the difficult times. And it isn't about beating ourselves up and making us feel worse than we already feel, which might be how you would interpret this paragraph, but the truth sets us free. And based on the serenity prayer, all we can really do is have God change ourselves. And so this gives us an opportunity to see clearly what our side of the street is, take an inventory, just like a business takes an inventory. And we don't have to turn it into something where um, we have to eat over it, actually, or anything else like that, you know, um, make ourselves feel bad. We can just embrace it as one of the steps that God has provided us to unlock that prison that we're in that keeps us bound. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Okay, then Helena, could you take the next paragraph? 
please? Good morning, Helena in New Jersey. Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did we not, did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. I'd like to comment on this. Um, fear comes after, on that list on page 65, our, the beginning of our fourth step list, uh, whenever it says self-esteem, it says fear in uh, parentheses. Um, and I find it very interesting that fear is considered a way in which selfishness and self-centeredness shows up. Um, when we see on page 64 that we are convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. The first manifestation is resentment, and we have just listed our resentments and are now looking at them in a different way. And the second one is fear. So this was a very difficult thing for me, and it continues to be a difficult thing for me. I may never again look at where I myself, where someone else has hurt me or has done something wrong. I am looking entirely, as was talked about in the last paragraph, at my own actions, my own character defects. And when I did that, very honestly, I saw that it was indeed true that the fabric of my existence was shot through with fear. It set in motion trains of circumstances with brought me, which brought me misfortune that I felt I didn't deserve. Fear was talked about in the last paragraph in the discussion so much, and it just I identify so much with it in that I was always afraid, I, not only that I wasn't going to get my own way, but that things were not as they should be. This world was not as it should be. My sister did not behave as she should. My parents did not. My church did not. The world did not. Politicians, we could go on and on. And I was full of fear. And then there were the specific fears. I don't know how to do this, and I'm being asked to do it. And the only way I knew how to get through life to cover up that fear was to turn to food. And I'd like to pass. Thank you, Helena. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Anna H. from New York. Go ahead, Anna H. Hi, good morning. I'm Anna. Um, I'm a compulsive reader. I'm covered for today. Um, yeah, the uh, I love that the fear, they talk about fear in the class of stealing. Um, because really, fear for me is what steals um, time and what steals life from from us as addicts and overeaters um, and people with eating, you know, eating disorders. Um, and I just have to say, like, I, before this program, my way of dealing with fear, you know, my way of coping with it was to eat or 
to try to dissuade whatever discomfort I was feeling. And um, I just have to say that this, these steps, um, you know, the 12 steps, it's sort of a, an instruction, not sort of, it is an instruction manual. It's a manual of, of things for me to deal with situations in my life. And so when I think of applying the 12 steps and working the steps in my life, I literally think, of, I'll give you an example, I literally think of, okay, they've asked me to do a task at work that is, um, I feel uncomfortable with. I have the skills to do it. It's just something I haven't done before. And so I work it through. I work it through actually in writing, and I work it through with a sponsor and with other fellows as well. And I look at it as, in terms of, okay, I'm powerless, and my life is I'm powerless over what people think of me, first of all. And my life is unmanageable in terms of if I'm obsessing about this and in a, in a holding pattern because I'm procrastinating around a certain issue or I'm frozen, um, you know, and unable to act, I'm, I'm unmanageable because really that fear has become my higher power, you know. It's become the thing that rules me. And so... And then really moving it through all 12 steps. What does that look like? You know, step two um, came to believe, you know. And uh, it's like, am I willing? Am I willing to give that fear of whatever task I'm working on over to my higher power today? Um, am I willing to believe that my, my higher power can handle it? And then step three made the decision, actually making that decision, saying, okay, I'm actively going to hand that over. You know, I'm actively going to hand that over, hand that fear over. And then actually working it through an inventory as well. And the more we do this, the quicker it, you know, for me, the quicker it becomes and becomes more second nature. It doesn't take as long anymore. But really working through actually being able to take situations and work it through the 12 steps alleviates so much. Um, and... I think I I think I am am do- I think I'm done. But yeah, just that that fear can become my higher power. It can become my ruler, just like the food could, just like the alcohol could. Like it says, I can be a shivering denizen of fear just as well. So being able to turn that over and let it go and work it through the twelve steps is what saves me today. Thank you. Thank you, Anna H. Would someone else like to share? Is this Sally? I heard Sally, and who else? Kim. I heard Nicole and Kim. Was there someone else? Okay. Wait, before Sally you go, did you say Holly? I did. Okay, Sally, Nicole, Kim, Holly. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning, a vision for you. This is Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. So we're reading here, notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, and the employer. And when I look at that inventory on page 65 and I see that word fear next to self-esteem, and repeatedly it's next to self-esteem, it's also next to security, I'm reminded that a lot of what self-esteem means to me, well, first let me read you what the the Big Book Dictionary says about self-esteem. It does say self-esteem, self-respect, 
self-confidence, how one views, thinks, or feels about oneself. The interesting thing about self-esteem for me is that my self-esteem was always connected to how you thought of me, what you thought of me. My self-esteem was completely connected to my identity, and my identity was always defined by what you thought of me. And so when I see this little this little word, they say this short word, fear, you know, I'm first of all, I'm reminded, even right this moment, my heart is beating rapidly. There's a fear. I have fear right now in sharing because of what you might think of me after I make this share. And always when I share, I always have my heart beating, racing rapidly. I always have a little bit of fear of what you're going to think of me after what I say. It might not, it might not go well. It might not be articulate. It might not be... Um, I might not make sense to you. And then maybe you'll think, oh, she's such a big mouth. What a stupid person. Whatever you're going to think, you always had the power to define my identity. Always. My whole life, you defined who I was and how I thought about me. So when I see this word fear, notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties. There's a difficulty. What will you think of me? Because I was such a people pleaser, and I was so, I had no identity apart from what you thought of me. If you didn't think well of me, well, then I guess I wasn't worth thinking of, because that's who I was. I, had, I was a non-entity, basically. This short word, fear, somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. Oh, yeah. Fear has been a very big part of my life. And it did define a lot of what I did, what I said, where I went, how I was. And it was the fabric of my existence was shot through with this fear. And ultimately, this word fear, where we're going to lead, we're leading us now into the fear page, page 68, which talks about self-reliance and then God-reliance. Ultimately, this little word fear, what it says to me is, Sally's not enough. Sally has never been enough. Sally will never be enough. And I can accept that now, that I'm not enough, that I am grateful, that I have a higher power who is more than enough, who takes care of me and and helps me to define who I am for me, that I don't have to look at you anymore and have you tell me who is Sally, that Sally can hold the hand of her higher power. And it's me and my higher power now. And you're there, but, but you see, I have now I have a boundary. Now I have a boundary that whatever you say about me, there's a glass jar that comes over my head. Your words are going to hit the glass jar. They're going to fall to the ground. I will look at your words like little um, words that are carved out of wood. Your words will hit the ground, and I can look at the words. Those words do not have to penetrate. Sally and my identity anymore. And so no longer do I have to walk around with the same sense of fear, although there's still some fear or my heart wouldn't be pounding right now. And that's what I've got to say about this little word, this short little word, fear. Thanks for letting me share. That I pass. Thank you, Sally. Nicole? Hi, this is Nicole. I'm a compulsive reader from Colorado. And um, I love this paragraph. In the last... um, uh, four-step practice I did. I did the turnaround process, and um, when I got done writing on um, what were pages and pages, and thought that I was pretty close to being done, and then um, the fear, the fear writing came up, and I started writing on that. And uh, oh my goodness, I realized that everything that um, I had reacted with was was 
out of fear. That that was that evil and corroding thread that went through everything um, about me and all all everything I was feeling, all the the resentment, the dishonesty. It was all based on fear, and my fear was um, based on you know what people thought of me, of um, fear of you know looking or acting stupid, of um, rejection. And it was all just, you know, related to the same thing. And, um, you know, it made, made me realize that that really my whole life that my reactions were based on, you know, this one this one word, fear. And when it talks how, you know, it should be um, cost with stealing, <laughs> that's, that's so true for me because um, it has caused more trouble. And it's so wonderful, um, you know, being recovered and being able to now see that that I'm acting out of fear again and being able to identify that and being able to turn that over to God. And I love how, um, how the big book says, um, you know, when we do our, our tenth step, um, you know, re- review, we, we quickly, um, we turn that over just, just immediately, um, you know, and as soon as that fear creeps up and, um, it's so wonderful to me that I can just immediately ask God for its removal, that I can recognize that fear, not not all the time, but, um, you know, a lot of the time and so, so much more. I, I was never able to recognize that fear when I was in the food, but that I can do that, you know, a lot of the time and that I can um, then just ask God immediately for its removal and realize that, um, you know, that his acceptance of me is, so much more important than anybody else and that um, he made me who I am and that I can be comfortable in who I am and um, what a relief that is. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Nicole. Kim? Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Was this short word, fear, somehow touches every aspect of our lives. It is an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. And I think it's so brilliant how this fourth step is leading us to this point. Because I know my personal experience is I have these resentments. And what do those resentments cover? It covers my anger. So we're led into page 67 for God saved me from being angry. And what is my anger covering? My anger covers my fear. So it's helping me to unravel this because this is what that evil corroding thread has dominated my life. You know, in step three, we learned out that self is the problem. The food is down. The food is is no longer being triggered. That allergy is not being triggered. And I'm being left with the ism of my alcoholism, myself. And I'm so selfish and self-centered and self-seeking, self, self, self that I am now seeing why that is so terrifying because that resentment covers my anger, which covers my fear. And what has my whole life been about? It's about getting my way. Things have to be my way. It's about me, me, me. And let's look at that. What happens when I don't get my way in the past? I get a resentment. What happens when I don't get my way today? I get depressed and I get angry. And what happens when I won't get my way in the future? I get fearful. 
So this process is going to allow me to unravel this, to put my will in God's will, to trust and rely on a higher power so I don't need to live in resentment, so I don't need to live in anger, and I don't need to live in fear. Because I had to recognize, I recognize in step one, I love the description on page eight of Bill's step one. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched all around me. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. When that alcohol was taken away, when I'm left with me, that paragraph describes my fear. It describes how that evil and corroding thread dominates me. So let's read that again. Think about the fear in your life, the thing about not getting my way. No words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity because I was terrified. Quicksand stretched all around me because that fear is an evil, corroding thread woven throughout my entire life. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Fear was my master. And if I was not going to go back to the food, because that's the only way I knew how to handle my resentment, handle my anger, handle my fear, was to blot out my consciousness and get numb in the food, I was going to have to find another way. I was going to have to learn how to master my resentments, master my fears, master my sex conduct, and that is only possible through getting a connection with a higher power. And this process, is going to remove the blocks of resentment and fear and sex conduct and anger so that I can have a connection with a higher power and I can live in a place of neutrality, I can live in a place of peace, and I can live in a place of freedom. What a brilliant process this 12 Steps has created. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Holly. Holly? Press Sorry, I unmuted. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I'm Holly, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, yes, fear came up the most in my most recent fourth step in this program. There was so much fear that it, it even shocked me to see, wow, I operate from fear still most of the time. And and that's not a bad thing. It it's good that I'm aware of it. And and it did. It robbed me and sometimes it still does rob me of being the me that God intended me to be. It it stole my life from me for many, many years. And what I did to deal with that fear was I ate. Maybe not right then and there when I felt the fear, but eventually I ate because I was scared to do this, scared of that, scared of this, scared of that, because I was relying on myself, always relying on myself. I had to pull myself up by my bootstraps and deal with this. Um, I, I think it ought to be classed right along with stealing because that's exactly what it did. It stole my life. And... It um it still does from time to time, but at least now I can say, please, God, help me with this fear. It's the fear suffocated me. It isolated me. I'm still afraid of people, places, and things at times, but I don't have to stay stuck in it anymore because this book is showing me that there definitely is a way out, and for that I will be eternally grateful for. 
And thank you for letting me share and ask. Thank you, Holly. We've come to five minutes before the hour. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. We'll share an H. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Sharon H., please unmute. Would someone else like to take over for Sharon? She's having trouble unmuting. This is Janice. I'd be glad to. I think I heard Janice. Could you go ahead, Janice? Thank you. I'd I'd be glad to. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you touch the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Yes.